Hey, welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast. Last week, we did a massive episode on makeup policy in your studio or school. And truth be told, we're recording these episodes back to back. So we literally just finished that episode moments ago. But what we thought we would do is answer a number of questions that were written in about makeup policy and how to change policy. Uh, a lot of a potpourri of questions that didn't really quite fit into that episode. And so we have a long list of questions that were written in that Nate and I are just going to tackle here. And we thought we would just thoroughly cover this topic by doing a second episode with the live audience that's with us right now and um, and answer a lot of your questions around policy, absences, and how to make a school run really, really smoothly. So thanks for joining us again in this episode. And um, Nate, where do we want to start? What's that first episode that we, or not first episode, but what's that first question that we want to tackle from all those questions that were written in? Well, we got a great question here live um, from Tanya, how to change policy. How do you change policy and minimize pushback? I do have some really practical tips about how to change policy, you know, from my time in my studio. Um, First off, and I'm just kind of saying this off the cuff, so I'm going to come up with a series of rules here. Rule number one, um, you need to communicate a change in policy well in advance of the policy change. And this is true of whether it's a makeup policy, whether you're changing your rates for lessons, um, whether you're offering a new program, communicate this far in advance. I would sometimes communicate policy changes up to six months in advance. So that's a, just a really practical tip. Let people know well in advance. Number two, do not over-communicate the drasticness of the change. I know that isn't even a word, but I'm just going to totally. use it anyway. Um, I had what I call, um, yeah, I had a method of doing this. I would send out an announcement email and I would make several announcements that were neutral, like, hey, here's our upcoming winter break dates, or here's all the important dates for the rest of the year. And then my second announcement would be the policy change. And then my third announcement would be like another kind of neutral or positive announcement. So I would sandwich it between two neutral or positive announcements. And then whenever I I'm, um, was announcing on that second point, whatever the policy change was, or the rate raise or anything like that, it would be like max two or three sentences. Mm. Hey, just want to let everyone know um, there's going to be a, a change in the studio beginning January 1st, 2023. And then, you know, I wrote it there. Simple. Third rule, never apologize for the change. Right. So never. The, the tendency is to start trying to explain why you're doing this, how important this is, apologize for it. Just don't. I don't even know if I have anything other to say than that. Just don't do it. You don't need to do it. Just announce it very simply. Um, think of it in this way. This was this was this was communicated to me from a coach of mine, and I just always loved his take on this. He said, "If you were a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, and you went to the table to take the order, and the person asked for the most expensive." item on the menu would you get nervous in talking about the price like if they ask how much is this again would you get nervous in communicating the price to them no as the waiter or waitress you wouldn't you have no emotional investment in that price 
you you're literally just reporting information to that person. So why do we as studio owners get nervous when we have to communicate the policy or the rate or the rate change or something like that? Well, it's because we're actually identifying with that piece of information. We're emotionally fused with it, which is kind of unhealthy, but also just makes for a really unpleasant experience for both you and the person you're communicating it to. You need to think like that waiter or waitress. You need to distance yourself emotionally. You're just reporting a number. You're just reporting a change. You know, the, the waiter or waitress doesn't say, well, here's why it costs that much. They don't do that. You shouldn't either. So those three rules and, and what Nate was saying there, I think all those things can help to minimize pushback. You'll, of course, never completely eliminate it, but I think it can be handled mm-hmm. in such a way that you don't have a mass exodus from the studio. I know I've said this before in the podcast, but I you know, done rate raises of up to nearly 25% before and not lost a single student. And yeah, I, I look, I point towards that set of rules I gave just a second ago as a huge component of depressurizing that announcement and, and making that change. I'll also just add that anyone new coming into the studio during that three to six month period, they didn't even know that there was a policy change because I just brought them in on the new policy or on the new rate. Right. Totally. That's the timing yeah. piece. Okay. What do we got um, next? Okay, I'm going to defer to you on this one, Nate, because you've worked with dozens of teachers at a time before. So what wisdom or what thoughts do you have around this question? How does the number of teachers affect the makeup policy or does it at all? (laughs) Yeah, let me tell you where BMF was in the early days. So Brooklyn Music Factory in the early days was a lot like probably some of these people listening that have like maybe three teacher studios where I... You know, I was a professional musician living in New York, and all of our teachers in the first handful of year, first year anyways, were my friends that I played with. Like, I wasn't hiring educators. Educators, I was hiring just my friends and just assuming that we would all become, we'd all be great teachers. Um, and what happens is that you have these relationships, and we had, I had relationships with these teachers, and... Uh, we had no makeup policy, of course. It was just like, you know, if you need to miss, make it up. And there was a trust because they were all my friends. So I like, I trusted that they would, you know, take care of the business and they would take <laughs> care of their families. <laughs> but of course, they're just, they don't know what, I mean, you know, we, it was just a free for all, right? Yeah. So that probably sounds familiar to people listening. They may even have a free-for-all happening in their studio right now where every teacher just does what um, they think is the best. Um, so what happened was that we, um, first of all, we grew up as a company, as a business, and realized like, oh, wait a minute. Like, it's not good for these teachers to just be making it up on their own, as we talked about before. Um, and it's not good for the culture of the business at all. Um, so I would say... If you, I mean, if you're just a single teacher studio, you should still have some version of a policy because essentially you're running a lifestyle business and you want to make sure that your your company or your small business aligns with your lifestyle and your, your makeup policy should align with that, right? Mm-hmm. If you get to two or three teachers, it, it it's easier to get a culture around the makeup policy because you only have two or three people that need to sit in the meeting and to hash out what is going to be the best possible policy. Right. So you should absolutely do that as a group think and a group design and get aligned around it and say, can we all agree that we're going to test this for the next year? 
Because if we all agree that the three of us are going to test this and we'll, we'll honor it, then I, as the owner of the studio, will broadcast it at the right time. I'll follow Daniel's rules around how to broadcast this policy change. Um, when you get to like, when you're five teachers to 10 teachers to 15 teachers, you absolutely need to be more dictatorial around what the policy is and state what the policy is going to be and understand that you're going to have teachers that are coming and going at BMF. You know, we hope our teachers will stay with us for three to five years. Um, and that usually proves to be the case, but the reality is it's not always. And so sure. these families are going to stay with us much longer than the average length of a teacher. So we need to make sure we have a universal policy that this family understands and will carry with them hopefully through their journey at BMF. So as you scale your business, it's much more pressing. Once you get past, say, three teachers into the, you know, four or five and up, it, you definitely need to address this. Make this, a, make this a, a Q2 project for you. Get clarity on it. Broadcast it following the Daniel method and uh, <laughs> test forward. Yeah. Nate, I'm noticing something in the, in the questions here that a lot mm. of them we have addressed in the previous episode. But it, my concern is that maybe it won't be immediately apparent how we addressed it. So I think we could also do just like rapid fire going through and being like, Oh, we addressed that. That's what I meant when I said this, because people are giving like really specific situations. So for instance, um, yeah, how do studios handle bad weather days? Well, when in the previous episode, we talked about that just depends on the values in your studio. Like for instance, Nate studio, it, he, he, he actually flat said in the previous episode, if there's a snow day, okay, we missed that week. No, there's no makeup credit. Yeah, but, there's no refund of tuition, you know, but on my, yeah, on the just, other hand, Oh, hold on, Nate. Well, on the other hand, um, like for my studio, because we had unlimited makeup lessons, you know, the, the, the studio weather policy was, I didn't want people getting injured on the road, you know, <laughs> like, so we would just cancel lessons pretty easily. And since we had a multi-level group system where I was offering unlimited makeups, it was pretty easy for me to just in future weeks, make those up or it would possibly be that I would refund that. So it, it comes back down to knowing your values and purpose and having that really, really well-defined. That's rule number one, have a policy clearly communicate it. Nate, what were you going to say? Well, there's another piece to this. It's the okay. design of the school year for us. So it's not just a purpose mm -hmm. and values piece is why there's a snow day. You're when you, when you enroll at Brooklyn music factory, it's like enrolling in college. You're just paying an annual tuition that's broken up into 10 months you know, we don't even mm. talk to parents about the cost per lesson. Mm. Um, we talk about the tuition and then we will break it up into 10 months or you can pay the whole tuition in one lump sum if you want. Um, and so what we do is we say we guarantee X number of lessons over the mm. 10 month school year. And nice. we always make sure there's extra lessons. So let's say you're on a Monday. Well, there's only a buffer of like, say, two more lessons than you would normally be guaranteed. So over, I think it's right now, it's 34 lessons over 10 months is what you're guaranteed for the tuition. So then, but we go through a lesson count calendar and, uh, and that's what we, you know, so when there's a snow day, we've already anticipated there's a snow day, but guess what? If there's not a snow day, then you just got two extra lessons that year. So it's really important to understand that there's a lot of intention in the design. It's not just... Uh, you know, snow day, no makeup. 
that's our that's our purpose and value. No, no, no. It's way more intent. It's way more designed. Sure. And if you've listened to any of our, you know, listen to our episodes on financial fluency forecasting, you'll know that in our culture at BMF, we're forecasting everything out, including like the number of lessons the students get, how many snow days have there been, and historically, did it all these things. We're taking the time to look at because um, our number one concern is the making sure that we're honoring and following through on what we promise for the experience for the family. Interesting. You know, that's, I mean, we're not starting a music school. I mean, <laughs> nobody's starting a music school because they're like, I'm looking for the most profitable niche <laughs> industry I could ever enter. No, you're starting a music school because you, you believe that you can um, serve the world through music education and hopefully yeah. make a good living while you're doing it. Right. Right. Although, so anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, I'm trying to change that with grouplessons.com, but that's an, that's another, <laughs> that's another episode entirely. Um, what is the best way to keep both teachers and parents happy with missed lessons? And again, I know that mm. probably the overall, uh, tone of, and, and content of the entire episode previous episode was like, well, that's how, how would you specifically address that? Best way to keep both parents and teachers happy with missed lessons. Yeah. Is that even a worthwhile uh, goal? I don't know. Yeah. Let me make, uh, let me address teachers first. Okay. So the thing to remember about us as teachers is that we are happiest when we are, we have engaged students that are showing um, some version of like authentic growth. You, you can define that yourself, whatever it means in your studio. And teachers, um, what they actually want is consistent attendance. Especially your young teachers don't really understand that, right? You're, when you're a young teacher, you don't quite understand that what you're truly hoping for is that, you know, your nine-year-old student, Emily, is going to show up every single week and... Um, that you're going to develop a lasting relationship with them. You don't really know that yet when you're in your first few years of teaching, right? But that's our job, honestly, as the owner and as the trainer of our teachers and as the, you know, the nurturer of our teachers is to make sure that they understand that that's what we're going for. And so we then, in service to our teachers, declare that we're going to do everything we can to convince parents that consistent attendance is one of the most valuable things that that parent can do to support their child's uh, musical journey, right? So then a teacher feels supported around that piece, right? And that's really important so that when a, when, a, when a teacher ultimately has to address a parent or a student that's not showing up consistently, they actually start using the exact same language that you use as an administrator um, around how important it is that the student shows up consistently. Um, the second thing you can do is remind that teacher that when you have, for example, if you have two absences in a row, that's always a red flag, you know, unless the student is like out with some illness and then you want to know about that family and how you can help them in other ways. But if they don't show up two days and two weeks in a row, that's total red flag. And you as an administrator want to be there in support of the teacher to be communicating with that family 
the same kind of message. Hey, we've noticed this happens oftentimes with teens. Like when they transition from middle school to high school, ninth grade is such an ass kicker for some students. They, that's when they start sort of drifting off the path a little bit. And you have to be like, whoa, 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 dude, you got to show up every single week to your guitar lesson. Cause this is an important, um, this is a really important uh, anchor for you, like safe space for you as you're developing into a world that can be kind of freaky and scary and confusing as a ninth, 10th grader in high school, right? So, but you as an administrator are also letting that parent know, hey, by the way, did you know that your 14 year old didn't show up the last two Wednesday nights for their guitar lesson? It's really important that they show up. And then um, in terms of the parents, it's just back to what we talked about last time, which was in the last episode, which is that if you want parents to really understand the value of a lesson, and you, I mean, if you to really understand why they should not miss a lesson, they need to really understand the value of the journey that their student is on and why showing up consistently is so important. Um, and that again gets, you should, we should, you know, if you're, if you're just tuning in, then definitely go back to the last episode and listen to that. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. When is the best time mm. to implement a policy change? I'm just going to give a quick one, and then I want to ask you a separate question, Nate, right after that. Best time, okay. in my th in my thinking, there is no bad time to do it. I think it has more to do with the uh, level of preparation that you have. Of course, we can always look to seasonal changes, January, fall enrollment, beginning of summer. You know, Those are the obvious ones, but frankly, I think this is a monster in the closet of many studio owners and they think like, Ooh, there's, they have like superstition around, Oh, I, I can never make a policy change in the middle of a semester. or I can never start a new program. Mm. And it's not true because I've seen it with hundreds and hundreds of studios that I've worked with. I've seen people start a group program and simultaneously raise the price of their studio on families all at the same time. Yes, it can happen. It happened in February of 2018 with a client of mine. Like, and, and I even wonder, I was like, I don't know if you want to start group program, force everyone into it mm. and raise your rates at the same time. She's like, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. And then it went really, really well. So I think, I don't think it really matters all that much. I think the thing that actually matters is how much notice you give before you do that. So I'm just going to give that as a quick answer. Here's the question I'm really interested in answering. And one that I absolutely want to make sure that we did not end this episode before answering. 
I'm going to, this was asked in a number of different ways. I'm going to read a couple ways that it was phrased. How can you deal with parents who ignore the policy and ask for makeups anyway? Another way that people ask that is, can you give specific examples of how studios handle students or parents asking for a personal makeup or reschedule? Um, How can lessons be offered? How can makeup lessons be offered without parents feeling entitled to them? So Nate, I'm really fascinated to see how you'd answer this Mm. version of how can you deal with parents who ignore the policy and ask for makeups anyway? What what are you, what you're thinking here? Mm. Um, Okay. What I would say is it gets back to the piece we were talking around about clarity and consistently communicate. This is one of those communicate consistent oppor- consistently opportunities. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I'm not great at this, Daniel. Like, I'm, you know me, I'm an improviser. Like, I, I do better when we're riffing, you know, in preparation for a, for a podcast episode, et cetera. Um, and so I have to oftentimes catch myself. Like a parent will be like, hey, do you think we could do X, Y, or Z? And my initial reaction is like, oh, I want to please this parent because, of course, I love their child like they're my own. But what I instead, I just pause, take a beat, and I say, so sorry, so-and-so won't make the lesson. I've already scheduled their one makeup for the year. I'll look forward to seeing them next week. And I just, that's the response. You know, and I have to do that because what happens is a um, if they hear the same answer from you, as well as from the, from the front desk, as well as from their sibling, you know, they have another child who's studying guitar with another teacher. If they get the message, the same message each time, then they just, then they accept it. I love that, Nate, because you went practical. I want to go practical as well. Okay. What do you got? I had this idea that was given to me by an older mentor when I was in my early 20s and just starting out, and he called it off-the-spot training. And he wasn't necessarily Mm. referring to it in terms of my studio, but I took this concept and applied it to my students. The idea that when you're on the spot, you will default to what you have prepared for off the spot. And it's really what you're saying there, Nate. Like you have this prepared Mm. statement. So I had a series of prepared statements that once I kind of made this connection of like, oh, I need need to know what to say when I get in these uncomfortable situations. And I engineered them to be as non-threatening and as easy to say as possible. So I'm going to give you guys a couple. One was if a parent in person was like, hey, uh, could we do a makeup lesson for that particular thing? Now, by the way, earlier in my career, my makeup lesson policy was much stricter than it was later because I wasn't doing group lessons. So I do have experience in these uncomfortable situations because my makeup policy was very strict early on. Um, mm. Arguably in the worst period of my career at the very beginning. <laughs> but irrespective of that, this is what I said. The default was... Um, I knew that they weren't getting a makeup lesson for that. They didn't even, they didn't even call and let me know they weren't showing up. And yet here they are. And I'm getting bitter inside at all these people. Like, how dare you ask me this question? You're making me feel so uncomfortable. You know what the policy is. Like, this is what I'm going on. What's going on inside my head. And, and what I would say was, you know what? Let me check. Um, I can't remember, you know, I, I can't remember all the details 
of that. And by and large, that was true. Uh, they might refer to it. I don't know the exact date or, or the circumstance of that. So let me email you back tonight. And the easy thing for me to do, especially when being confronted in person on that, was just say, let, um, let me email you back about that and figure out what we can do. And then off the spot, in front of my computer at 9.45 p.m. that evening, I could write you know, a rejection letter, so to speak. It got to the point that parents knew that <laughs> phrase so much yeah, they knew. That, yeah. that parents started saying, no, 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 I, I, I just want to talk about it now. And I'd say, ah, you know, I might make a mistake. I've just got to check my records and, and that sort of thing. Let, let, me, let me email you back. I, I, and I got another lesson starting. And um, mm. that wasn't the most, you know, that wasn't the most, um, that didn't show the most spine that I could have shown, but it at least depressurized that situation for me. So that was one way that I handled that. Um, hmm. Another phrase that was really, really helpful was if a parent actually asked for an exception, I would say, you know, hey, here's, you know, here's kind of the rules. You know, this is the corresponding policy to what you're talking about here. I, I really just can't play favorites. Um, you know, it, it would be um, mm. really unfair to That's other nice families language. in the studio if I played favorites with different people. I rarely got people who'd fight me once I said that. And I wasn't trying to be manipulative. That's actually how I saw it. I would be playing favorites if I just did that for people who were a little bit more of a squeaky wheel, you know, because um, totally. there were other families in the studio that had fantastic attendance my favorite students, you know, the ones who were with me the longest, the most loyal, the ones who gave me, you know, the gift cards at Christmas, and they would never ask. And I felt it to be such a betrayal of them to to say yes to this family. And it wasn't because they gave me gift cards, you know, and quite the opposite. I would probably be more likely to give my favorite family set, but it had to be fair. It had to be fair. So I would use that mm. language. I, I can't play favorites. And that would often depressurize and 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 get the conversation back to where it would go. The other thing, and I didn't mention this earlier, um, and this is, goes to your rule number four, where we aren't Zappos, we're not Amazon, we're dealing with humans, we're a certain kind of business, was that I would clearly and effectively communicate the policy over and over again in the first couple months of lessons. And inevitably, the first time there was a missed lesson, um, the family would, you know, would screw that up or they just forget or they pretend they forget or whatever. Almost every time that first time I would say, Hey, this is the policy. I can make an exception this one time, but in the future I wouldn't be able to, maybe there was just a miscommunication or I forgot to say it or something like that, that often depressurized that situation. And then I could actually refer back to that one the next time they tried that. Cause you never know if someone's doing it with honest intentions or whether they're trying to pull a fast one on you, not my place mm. to decide. But I do know that that process often did that because the next time they were like, you know, they 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 canceled. They didn't let me know about it. And, and I would say to them, oh, you remember the last time this happened? You know, I kind of mentioned right then that, you know, the way that we do it in my studio is this way. I made an exception that time. I wouldn't be able to do that a second time. And they would just accept it. It was very rare that I got a parent upset or angry or, or even even slightly visibly annoyed. So that's my answer on that. Nate, I want you to pick the last question before we do that. Okay, though, I, I, do, I, I do want to say this though. There was, so I had unlimited makeups for people who were in my group program, but the more advanced students that I would see one-on-one, -on -one, I still maintained that really strict makeup policy for, for students. Mm. I was seeing one-to-one -one. and there was a family that had a couple girls enrolled in my studio nearly for eight years. 
And when yeah. they finally unenrolled for the studio, I think I owed them like 80 makeup lessons that they never <laughs> that they never took. They, Man. they were constantly like um, yeah. like they were constantly like uh, the girls were very involved in sports and music and drama and all this sort of thing. And they would miss so often during play season. Yeah. I just thought that was hilarious, but I did keep records. I knew it was like 83 lessons. So <laughs> of course you did, dude. I knew you. Yeah. I'm sure you had impeccable records. Yeah. Uh, so Nate, <laughs> um, what question do you want to answer? I want to answer the teacher. How do you structure teacher pay for makeup lessons? Um, Cause I want to give the policy that BMF currently does with teacher pay. Um, and, and to just to share that it took us a long time to actually arrive at something that we felt was right for who we are as a school. Um, but basically, you know, you have all your teachers, they're on the schedule. If they're scheduled to teach a lesson, the presumption is they're getting paid. If a student misses the lesson, they get paid. If a student cancels the lesson, in other words, they're owed a makeup, that schedule, that lesson gets rescheduled and the teacher does not get paid because they're going to get paid for the rescheduled lesson, right? However, moving forward, that every, if the, if the student then tries to reschedule a second lesson, which they're not offered within a 10 month period, um, the teacher can say, well, I've already scheduled your makeup lesson. So I'm afraid we can't give you a new makeup for this. I'll mark it as missed. Let me know if anything changes. And that teacher gets paid. Right? So um, that's really important when you're trying to build a, a culture of um, a guaranteed wage for a teacher. Right? So that's what that works for us. So we make sure that that makeup policy also is in support of these teachers being able to bank on a consistent, um, yeah, consistent paycheck. So that's how we handle the makeup. So in other words, if a, if a student misses, teacher always paid. If a student cancels, teacher doesn't get paid for that first cancellation, but every other attempted cancellation after that, teacher gets paid. Mm. Right? So that's the mm. answer to that. Nate, um, I know your time is short. Um, mm. but I also know that sometimes you, uh, you will, uh, make exceptions. Do you want, is there any other questions that you want to answer? <laughs> well, <laughs> or do you really have to jump? I'm, I'm going to be in a mini keys class in 31 minutes teaching. Okay. So, um, I will take one more and then we'll bid adieu. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Oh, and Tanya just wrote one in. Um, do you have comments on the payroll policy where teacher gets paid for the original lesson that is missed, but then does the makeup on their own time or during another missed lesson? Mm, great question. So, Tanya, let me try to try to illustrate um, how I look at a teacher's schedule. Okay, so um, teacher A. She has five students. Let's say she has five hours of lessons booked on a Thursday. Whether those students, if all of those students show up, she's paid for all five hours. If only three of the five hours show up, um, but the other two hours didn't cancel, she's still paid for all five hours. I don't actually care what she does with those other two hours where the students didn't show up. She's still paid because they're on the schedule. 
we collected the tuition, right? Dig it. That's the same for you. And so um, I would hope that we would create a culture where that teacher is trying to encourage their students to show up as much as possible, that consistent attendance piece. I would also hope that we're creating a culture where if a student doesn't show up, that teacher's taking that paid opportunity to say, do their lesson prep for the next day, do their community, send those lesson reports to the students or get on Slack and do more of the collaboration work that we need to do around our songwriting parties. That's what I'd hope we'd be building at BMF. So I, when, when we as, make as a gesture to the, as the owner, to the teachers, it's not a gesture. It's what's, in my mind, what's right and respectful. When we say we've booked five hours of lessons for you on Thursday, we expect you to show up early for your lessons. We expect you to show up prepared. We expect you to teach a great lesson for all five hours. And two of those hours, the students don't show up. We're, they're still following through on their obligation of showing up. Right, we're asking the teacher to consistently show up, so we're going to consistently pay them for that time. Um, but I'd also hope that they would see that paid time as an opportunity to continue their development as a teacher or their engagement with other teachers. Um, so that's how I view that. And if they end up, if a student's going to miss a lesson, like a student um, cancels a lesson, and they have a blo open block and they want to reschedule another lesson or hold a student over. I do that all the time where I have a 45 minute piano student. I just keep them for an extra 30 minutes because I've got that open window. They're welcome to do that. I don't ask questions around that. You know, that's, I think that's, does that make sense? That semi answers your question, not fully, but that pretty accurately answers it from our perspective. Yeah. Well, I think that might be a good place for us to wrap and I will wrap simply by saying that those four rules that we talked about previous episode have a policy that is consistent with your values and what makes sense for your geography, your competition, et cetera, et cetera. Two, clearly communicate that policy, make sure it's written down, declared. You don't have exceptions that are living in your head. It's all written out. You're consistently communicating it and probably more than you think. And that once those three things are in place, Understand that you're dealing with humans and that um, when you're dealing with humans, there's always an element of flexibility needed. So mm. really appreciate all the folks who are with us here for the entire two hours. We really didn't have a big drop off in terms of um, the uh, the live audience. Um, and we're going to probably be doing another one of these again within the next four to eight weeks. And yeah. we're going to pick another topic. I think that is... Um, we tend to we tend to pick topics for these that are a bit broader um, and of great concern to every studio owner, no matter the size of that studio. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them, and they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please 
share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.